Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Is the only thing that could stop a government shutdown the overall quality of Pac-12 football. We'll discuss mm. that today on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Neighborhood Watch. I am joined by Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Ducks host, Spencer McLaughlin. Uh, everybody always loves these conversations, Spencer, so we're glad to have you back. We're going to tackle a couple things today. Ta- uh, tackle the promotion relegation idea from Ross Dellinger, the way to save the Pac-12 slash Pac-2 as we know it. A Dennis Dodd tweet that made me very curious about the idea of Deion Sanders saving the Pac-12 if he was there a year earlier, an idea that uh, I'm going to push back. We're going to push back on some. And then also just kind of look at this weekend, too, with the Pac-2 super matchup between Oregon State and Washington State, just kind of uh, the fact that we're here and it's, it's it should be a celebration of those two schools. Um and actually kind of on a, on a dense weekend, how that game does stick out in some ways, but also be, it's being lost in the crowd a little bit and how that kind of is a metaphor. Not on my show. Not on your show. Not, not on, on my show. show. We're not, not having that on my show. Right, right. right. That's why you're here. <laughs> We're going to point it out. We'll talk about it nationally. So we thank you for being here. All right. So dealer's choice. Actually, you know, I usually don't do this, but dealer's choice. You're, you're a very kind guest for Ooh. being here this week. A lot of folks know that I'm dealing with the uh, tonsillitis or strep or something. So which way do you want to go? Do you want to well, go with relegation, relegate, relegation? Relegation. Okay, let's do it. Relegation, so, we start. So the idea of relegation promotion was was floated by Ross Dellinger yesterday. Robbie Triano and I did talk about it some. I wanted to get your thought on this as a way to save the Pac-12. And you and I have talked a lot, and I have maintained this the entire time, that I, while the teams in the Pac-12 might go to the wayside, the identity and brand of the Pac-12 I did not think would because – West of the Rockies, and you can tell folks this, and you know this better than anybody, the Pac-12 still has the best name, brand, identity, whatever you want to say, West of the Rockies. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, the Mountain West is certainly uh, in in second place there. I, I think you'd probably then go to the West Coast Conference, thanks to Gonzaga basketball and such. But it, it's curious, you know, we, we've talked about uh, the Pac-12 and everyone loves to come on and, you know, into the comment section and such, oh, the Pac-12 demise and it's all this sort of stuff. It's like lit- metaphorically and kind of literally speaking, that is true. The Pac-12, as we know it, is, is done. But I think what, what people oftentimes fail to understand or just don't think about is, is the Pac as a conference has not yet died. The teams in it mm-hmm. have gone elsewhere, but legally as an entity with bowl game births, with NCAA tournament uh, exemptions for winning the conference tournament or you know to the NIT with the regular season tournament or postseason payouts from the NCAA tournament and from uh, the college football playoff and the, the assets that it already has, all of that still exists, which is why a rebuild of sorts is on the table. And you know, this was the first that I ever seriously heard, and it was originally brought up, according to Ross Dellinger, by uh, an associate AD at Boise State. Uh, so this is something that has been written. It has been proposed. It has been d- more discussed. Proposed is not the right word. It has been legitimately mm-hmm. discussed, but it's been 
you know, discussed in a manner that is greater than just talking over a cup of coffee of, oh, hey, relegation could be idea. There is a there is a drawn out proposal, a PowerPoint presentation and all about how this could work, what it would look like. And I don't think we know every single detail from that slide, but we know enough to talk about it as a real idea. And I think it should be a real idea because if you're if you're talking about saving the pack, you can't do that. Right. What everyone always jumps to, as they should, is, well, you know, the pack is done. It lost all the teams. Fact check. True. Everybody except Oregon State and Washington State are gone. Can you build a legitimate power conference with Oregon State, Washington State, and then a bunch of schools that are in the G5 or at the G5 level this year? My answer has always been no. It will continue to be no. But the relegation model is something I am a fan of because what you're trying to do, Josh, is you want to create the maximum amount of interest between this potential partnership. And it's been talked about both ways, a reverse merger where the Mountain West dissolves and becomes the PAC, or Oregon State and Washington State join the Mountain West and the PAC dissolves. And now it's becoming this hybrid proposal, or at least that's what this suggestion is. And I think that if, you, if you're looking at that from an outside perspective, how do you create the most interest and intrigue mm -hmm. in that league? I think it would be the most competitive from a football standpoint, group of five conference in the country. I think the Americans got some good teams, but, you know, I mean, SMU's in there. They're kind of on the upswing. We'll see how they do against. They play They play somebody this week. I think TCU, and they're only like a yeah, six-and-a-half-point dog. Game. Yeah, and so, you know, they play TCU if they were to pick up that win. Sure, they'd, you know, be a stronger brand and such, but SMU just has a lot of money. They don't have a lot of results right now. If you put Oregon State and Washington State, current top 25 programs, and merge that with the current Mountain West, which has, you know, at any point in time, one or two teams capable of being in the top 25, that to me is the best G5 conference. And here's the other thing. If you create this, this system, which would be new, exciting, interesting, I think TV partners would at least be open to the idea because it I would agree. be, it, it would be a product that nobody else has. And guess what? Mm -hmm. Being unique is a really, really good thing in the television world, it's a great way to get eyeballs is having something that nobody else possesses. And here's another thought for you, Josh. Let's say they they do this and they have this, you know, dual merger with the pack in the Mountain West and a relegation system. And let's say it's a smashing success. In in three or four years, at what point do American conference teams start going, we want to be a part of that? We 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 want to do that thing over there because that's creating new level excitement. Now you can debate all you want about, you know, the media rights valuation and how much the money would be and what you could get and everything like that. That's a fair discussion. It's a legitimate hurdle to that potentially. But if you're talking about the Mountain West joining with Oregon State and Washington State, the Pac-2 that are left, I think this is the most interesting way to, to do it. Yeah, I'm with you on this. Uh, there There is... You know, there are hurdles to this, obviously, but the yes. reasons why I'm with it are because you mentioned like the television product. It is exciting. And the um, the incentive is there, too, for these schools. And it's a different kind of incentive before, you know, before the last season, like Oregon State at the end of the year was playing for what, like a 10 win season. You know, beating Florida obviously is very important. Um but like at the end of the day, you know, like you're saying, like, all right, what is Oregon State actually playing for now? You know, in, in a world where college sports seems like they're disenfranchising everybody, well, at least playing to stay up or fighting for the cash that you currently have is something that is, you know, is going to always going to incentivize those schools to push forward, uh, whether it be their boosters, whether it be the folks internally in athletics, the presidents, all of those things. They will always be fighting for that. And as somebody who does 
love uh, European soccer. I've always been for the promotion relegation because like there's just so much money on the line that makes those games just as compelling. And the thing is, is when you watch the NFL, like, yeah, those teams are fighting every single week. You know, we saw the Cardinals this week that are, I mean, they are a, they are attempting to tank. They are a bad They are attempting to tank. Um, And there have been some games this year where I've, you know, last year, especially where I saw some teams and it was like, "Mm," like the players are attempting, but like, you know, I've got a lot of questions about the fields, about the teams that they are fielding. Um, And in soccer, you do not have that because these teams are in fights for their lives and fights for cash. Now, that is the one part of the Spencer we do have to admit, and I was listening to Cover 3 yesterday, is that the only way that um, presidents and and power brokers sign off on this is if there is not too much of a massive gap there, right? Or they might be fighting for potential money because if you're if you're if you are a um, let's just say that this is the Big Twelve, right? Let's just say the Big Twelve instituted some promotion relegation. If you're Iowa State, like you've been bad the last couple years and you are firmly on the chopping block. And if you look at a multi-year outlook for the league, you might be in a spot where there's a lot of schools. They just added four more schools that could zoom past you in the race to be a quality program, despite the fact you might like you might like your coach and Matt Campbell. So you might not say, yes, let's do promotion relegation because the number of dollars we might end up hooking in could deteriorate. So you'd have to make it to where, in my opinion, Spencer, we're either fighting for smaller amounts of money or smaller amounts of money plus the potential to make more, right? We're yeah, fighting okay. for some more of the NCAA tournament share money or more of the bull share money, the CFP money that we have mentioned. Uh, if we're going to put, you know, we're start putting sponsorship on uniforms and we're going to sh- distribute a bit more of that money type stuff, like that kind of thing is what we're going to have to be fighting for not the ironclad amounts of how much money does your athletic department run off of each year. It's going to be it, like, it can't be like either your budget's 10 million or 20 million. It's going to be like, all right, it's either 15 or 10. And uh, you're going to get the base of, you know, 10, but the potential to make the extra, the, to make the additional is going to be there. So you can't mess with that base number too much, in my opinion, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on that. And I think it's certainly one of the obstacles that this whole proposal can can run into is that, you know, some athletic departments are willing to, you know, have all their expenses on an annual basis and then figure out, you know, how much revenue they've brought in and, you know, move money over to the next year in terms right. of, you know, running in a deficit. A lot of athletic departments run in a deficit, a, a lot of them, but some do it on an annual basis. I don't know which ones, but some do it on an annual basis where they say, okay, here's our budget for the year. Here's how we're allocating all of this stuff. I think the baseline guarantee is a sticking point. I don't know that it's one that would necessarily hold up this entire proposal uh, entirely, like on its own. I think it's a hurdle you have to get over because there are going to be some programs that'll say, hey, if, if our payments, you know, each year from the conference are, I think in the Mountain West, they're like $5 million. They're like five, five, six million million. And then Boise State has uh, a, a greater share there by like one and a half to two million or somewhere in that range. Someone in the comments can fact check me on that. But 
that's the general structure of it. So if your baseline in the Mountain West were to be five million, and you know the way that Dellinger threw it out, and I think it might have been a placeholder. I'm not sure if the pack teams were making two and a half million more, meaning they were bringing seven and a half million for being a part of you know the upper division of of this hybrid conference. Then that's manageable. But yes, I think, and I think that's a manageable amount because you can very easy, very easily work that into contract incentives for coaching staffs, not just Mm -hmm. for the head coach, but for everybody. And you can also pretty easily find a way to say, Hey, you know, we got promoted this year. Um, I mean, that's probably going to result in a bonus for the coach or a raise for the, for for the football, for the football coach. Bowl bowl games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Promotion will definitely be a, yeah, the salary. And but I, I I think that it is manageable. I just don't know what everyone's priorities are and what exact dollar figures people are going to look at and say, okay, we have to have this this amount. We we, we need for our athletic department, um, you know, from the conference, we need a minimum revenue amount of you know six, seven, eight million dollars, whatever it is. So I think that's a complicated factor, but not. An impossible one to get over where I think the obstacles really come in Josh is do you do this with every sport do you do this with just football do you do it with men's basketball do you do it with women's basketball and if football is making the extra money like I, I don't know I am not a lawyer but there are probably title nine considerations somewhere at some point mm-hmm. in time who has more of a priority on that matter than other? I don't know. Those are the things that I look at and say, how are you going to find uniform agreement here? Because some schools that are stronger in men's basketball, like a San Diego State, for instance, would probably want there to be relegation between the pack and the Mountain West because they would have the best chance or one of the best chances of staying in the pack the whole time and therefore having an advantage. But how much more is that really worth? But then other programs might say, no, football is still 80 to 90% of a media rights valuation. You know, even when you factor in NCAA units, if we're going to get college football playoff payouts with the expanded playoff, like this is just going to keep going. These are the sorts of details they have to hammer out. So I think this proposal is really interesting and I hope they're able to work it out. I mean, I hope first and foremost that Washington State and Oregon State get invited to the Big 12 or the ACC or whatever, but that doesn't appear imminent. At this point in time, it has not been reported or indicated, so we we can't operate in we've that world. Actual reporting on this show, there have been none of the people. We we list Dennis Dodd, we list Brett McMurphy, Ross Dellinger, Ross Dellinger. Thank you very much, Pete Thamel. Who those folks get it wrong, but they've never been scooped by somebody else that I just did not mention. There has not been like, well, you know what. Buff fan six nine, you know, clown chunks, uh, has had this the entire time and stuck it to you. <laughs> All right, so Spencer, so so we love so so I think it's possible. You think it's possible? Uh, this was an idea from Dennis Dodd, and this is not. I, I know we, we love Dennis. This is not reporting, so it does not fall under you know the purview of reporting. Um, I think a lot of folks have been caught up in Dion mania, and I'm not. This is not sliding Dion in any way, shape, or form, but. He did raise the idea that if Deion Sanders had been a Pac-12 coach a year earlier, 
that it would have saved the Pac-12 conference. Now, George Klyavkov had an idea maybe to having Deion Sanders. He said it publicly, but I actually don't think he really meant it. I think more of he just kind of was saying it just to say it at that point in time. Do you believe this? I don't just because, you know, like a television network would know, like, look, we're not going to, we're not going to give you money to televise a team's games for six years. And we can't guarantee the coach will be there past one, right? Like I can't guarantee you right now, especially because you know, I, I know Billy Napier had a huge win this past week and the stuff is, is fast, but like there will be sec West jobs. It feels like that will open up at the end of this season. Maybe more than one. We you never know. So at least at least, but at least one southeastern conference job will open. It always feels like per year. And Deion Sanders will be a candidate. It feels like he already interviewed once for the Arkansas job. Or uh, yeah, I believe Hunter Yurchek did bring him in for an interview. Um, that is not the last SEC job that Deion Sanders will interview for. So the idea that that the companies, TV companies, would pay more money even though they can't guarantee he would be there to me does not seem correct. And I, I was surprised from Dennis, who's been, somebody who's been covering the uh, you know TV side of this for so long that he would think that that would really factor in to a, any long-term buy from a TV company. I am with you here. You know, my take at the time was, you know, it can't hurt. I mean, it only yes. helps you when you can't guarantee that a coach is going to be there for a long period of time. I don't think there is a TV network executive worth his salt or even a 10th of his paycheck that would say, well, we're going to pay you a lot of money because we, we see these numbers and they're, they're massive. And you know, that changes the viewership. Okay. Fact check. True. Again, you can't guarantee, and you can't make a big payment as a company like that. And then look back years later, because when Dion you know, inevitably coaches somewhere else. Colorado is not the last place he's ever going to coach. So when he inevitably goes somewhere else, what do you put in a Dion clause in the contract of, hey, the valuation of the deal comes down if Dion goes to coach in the NFL or if he goes to take an SEC job? No, I, I can't see that in any way, shape or form. And yes, he does bring unquestioned television value. And I mean, we've been seeing it the first few weeks. It is unlike anything we've seen. That Colorado State game getting over nine million is insane. It's insane. Also, the number number of people that were watching it like two o'clock in the morning on East Coast time was I've never seen anything like that. No, there's nothing. There, there is. There's nothing like it. Absolutely. And and as you said, we're not sitting here taking shots at Dion, being like, oh, he's not valuable or anything like that. No, he does. He does bring that sort of weight. But as Jackson State learned, he doesn't bring a longevity to his coaching career. And it doesn't feel like he has that at Colorado. He could be there for multiple seasons. Sure. But you're not going to make it in, you know, a massively improved investment based on what, you know, one guy can bring to the table for media. And here's the other thing, Josh, I, I long held the belief on, on locked on pack 12 that, you know, once USC and UCLA left, like, Hey, this, th this thing, I, I thought it would be okay. But I also said the big 10 could tank the pack 12, Anytime it chose, anytime it wanted to, because if Oregon and Washington are gone, you have now lost two of your flagship schools, your biggest television brand left in Oregon and your biggest game, Oregon, Washington's a massive rivalry game. If you take that out, everyone else would jump ship. And that's what happened. And do you think that Dion being in the pack would have changed that calculation for, uh, for, for the big 10 would have changed that calculation for Oregon and Washington? 
I don't think the Ducks and the Huskies would have looked at the Big Ten offer and said, "Now nah, we're good, we're good," because Dion's here. I don't think that that would have that 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 dog would have hunted, and I, I just think that it was going to happen one way or the other. Maybe you could have gotten a tad more with Dion, but not enough to tip the scales. All right, so let's talk about Dion Sanders' big game this weekend, right? Um, these. Uh, the the Pac-12 has got three. I think there was what seven ranked up ranked versus ranked matchups this week. The Pac-12 has three of those games: Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, Utah, Oregon State, and Washington State, all with their own intrigue. Uh, we'll get to Oregon State, Washington State in a second, but wanted to ask you about the matchup against your Ducks this weekend. No Travis Hunter, I believe. No no more no Cormani McLean either for uh, Colorado this week, which is going to make things uh, challenging at best for, for Colorado in terms of coverage. Um, you know, I saw a quote that said Deion Sanders believes that Colorado has not played their best game yet. I don't believe this is the game where that comes. This is a really good matchup for Oregon, especially being at home. Yeah. And you know, Oregon hasn't played their best game yet either. I mean, no. they, they've had two inferior opponents. You can't take away much. So you look at the Texas tech game and say, okay, they went into a hostile environment against a team that I, I still think will end up being, uh, a seven or eight win team in the Big 12 by the time the season comes to a close. Before, mm-hmm. I would have said, uh, you know, hey, they could be a nine, 10 win team. I think Texas Tech's closer to to seven or eight, but Wyoming yeah. showed they're clearly not in a complete and total slouch because they took Texas tied at 10 into the fourth quarter. So they're, uh, I mean, it's not a great loss for Tech, uh, of course, but Oregon played that game poorly. They were incredibly sloppy. Do you know how many penalty yards the Ducks had in that game against the Red Raiders? Uh, how many Oregon had? Yes. Was it like 119? It was 124, which was more yeah. rushing yards than they had in, in the football game. So those sorts of things have to be cleaned up and make no mistake about it. If they don't do that against Colorado, Shador Sanders can pick them apart, score a lot of points and make the game interesting. The issue for the buffs without Travis Hunter in there is he has been the bright spot on their defense. He has been a reason they have forced some turnovers. He takes away half of the field. If you remove that element, Colorado's defense is 122nd in total defense this year, allowing 460 yards a game. And they've only played one offense that you know can, can score points at the Power 5 level, and that's TCU. And they gave up 42 on the road with two red zone turnovers there. So the Buffs defense is not ready to play at a high level. I don't expect them to be able to go into Oregon and just shut down the Ducks. I'd be highly concerned if they do, but I'd be pretty surprised if that were the case. They've been a little turnover reliant at times this year. And I think that the Ducks who have done a great job protecting the football this season so far are, mm-hmm. you know, in a good position to score a lot of points as long as they continue protecting the football. If they turn it over three times, all right, now you can have problems. But if Oregon's got one or no turnovers in this game and it's not, you know, a pick six or a pick, you know, deep in your own territory to give Colorado a short field or anything like that, then Oregon should be able to score at least 35, probably at least 40 points. And there's no indication that Colorado is in a spot where they can put Oregon under duress to make those turnovers. I mean, no. that's, that's been the issue so far this year for for Colorado is they're not, they're not generating much resistance on that side of the ball. Um, UCLA and Utah is a fun game. I'm not sure how great those teams end up being at the end of the day. We'll see Cam Rising. It definitely adds a different element, and it looks like he's going to play in terms of line movement, it might reflect the fact that he's playing. But let's go to the game I care about the most, and I'm sure you care about the most because it is well the Oregon game, obviously. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say there's, there's one six p.m. 
with with this particular alter ego that I've got working here, the game yeah. we're about to discuss is the one I care you about. Tape the the, most. You should tape the one up for the uh, for the Friday show. You should tape the one because <laughs> this is the Pac Tuple. It is Washington State is Oregon State. They're both three and O teams. Uh, Oregon State's wins have been a bit easier. Washington State's, I think, been the more impressive of the two. But I think Oregon State looks like they're the better team overall. I think that's reflected in the in the three point spread that we're seeing. Um, but this is a game where both of these schools, you know, you've seen the videos where like they announced the other team score over the intercom. I think it was mm-hmm. the Oregon State game when they, I forgot they were playing, but they announced the score that Wazoo had beaten Wisconsin to a massive cheer. These two fan bases are forever intertwined now. Um, and I hope they continue to be intertwined. But look, man, like th- this game is is not just uh, this game is not just about you know, these two teams playing, it, it is really about, to me, Spencer, like there could be an actual Pac-12 title contender emerging from this game. Because, and also I know this too, doesn't Oregon State avoid USC? I know their schedule is pretty hard. They do avoid USC. Oregon now. State's it, schedule? Uh, they avoid USC though, which is... I know, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. So they still have or- Washington, they still have Oregon, they still have Colorado... Um, they still yeah. Have okay. Okay. So, right. so. Okay. So, couple. So, couple things. You brought up the Pac-12 contender point. The winner of this game will be viewed as a Pac-12 contender. Oregon State will be viewed that way, even if they lose. So, Oregon State's okay. schedule okay. has got massive breaks on it. Massive, massive breaks. Mm. Of the five contenders, I think Oregon State's got the easiest schedule. And I never viewed UCLA as a Pac-12 contender. They'll have a chance to prove me wrong. If they go into Utah and win this Saturday, I don't believe that they are going to. So when I look at what could happen in this game, if Washington State wins, the Beavs are still going to be, if they win a close game, it's a bounce a ball, go either way, coin flip affair. If Washington State wins, I will come on Locked On Pac-12 and say that is a Pac-12 contender because Washington State also misses USC. And they go down and one of their road games is playing at UCLA, who's a good team. I don't think a great one, but a good one and does not have a ruckus home environment. You can win games on the road down there. So they miss USC. Washington State also misses Utah. Now, Oregon State does not. But these two teams, both of them, Josh, the winner is going to be in a legitimate spot to get to the Pac-12 title game, and neither one has been there before in their program's history. They've never played for a conference championship because the Pac-10 and Pac-8 didn't have a conference title game, and they've never been to the Pac-12 title game. It's those two. And can you name the third uh, Pac-12 teams never play in the title game? I want to say Arizona. Mm -mm. They did it in 2014. You get one more guess. ASU. No. Oh, Josh, how could you not go to the schools we've already, that you we've love? Already done, we've already, we've already the done schools you love banging on the most, Cal. Cal has never played <laughs> in the Pac-12 <laughs> championship game. I know. Now you feel foolish no. because it was so obvious. Oh. But here's right, the thing. Because they, they don't care about football. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon State. Yeah, that, gosh, they look like they didn't care about anything when they played Idaho yeah, last week. That I was know. pathetic. No. Um, though I think they could cover against Washington. Anyway, so Oregon State and Washington State, are just, like you, you just can't undersell the magnitude of this game now both of these teams have to go to oregon that is correct washington state has to go to washington correct but washington state missing usc in utah if you drew up the perfect rotation of pac-12 scheduling to miss teams from the former pac-12 south who would you most want to miss 
USC and the two-time defending champs. So the Cougs have a break in that sense. Now, Oregon State does have to play Utah. They do have to play at Oregon. They have to play Washington, and they have to play UCLA. But they miss USC, which is a big benefit. They have to go at Colorado, but I think they're a better team than Colorado. Here's the thing. Of those four games against the other contenders for the Beavs, three of them are at home where they have lost once in the last two seasons including a win over eventual Pac-12 champion Utah in 2021. So they know what it means to play and beat Utah on their home field. They got torched in Salt Lake City last year because Rice Eccles is a tough place to go and Chance Nolan threw four interceptions and then got hurt. And then um, like the game was just kind of out of control from there. But that is one of the things about this game that is so fascinating is these are two of the most beneficial Pac-12 schedules that you could have asked for. And whoever wins this game is going to be inside the top 15 because if Washington State wins, there is no reason for them to not be in the top 15. They'll have two power five wins over then top 20 Wisconsin and then top 15 Oregon State. So they absolutely should be. And Oregon State's currently in the top 15. And then they'll be 1-0 in conference play with a Pac-12 schedule that misses USC. And for Washington State, misses Utah. And don't sleep on the Cougs. This is a tight point spread for a reason. This is the game of the week in the Pac-12 for, for reasons that go beyond football and reasons that pertain to football in the 2023 seasons I talked about. And that's why I, I cannot wait to watch this football game. All right, Spencer, where can the people find you and all of your work in its variety? I'm at smalls underscore 55 on uh, Twitter X. Do we have to call it? It's stupid. It's Twitter. Um, <laughs> we all we all know. The only X that I acknowledge, Josh, is Julio Rodriguez no-fly zone in uh, center field for my <laughs> beloved Seattle Mariners. Uh, I host Locked On Pac-12 and Locked On Ducks Monday through Friday on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Some people also may not know. Uh, I'm the voice of the SU Thunderbirds. Um, so mm-hmm. you can watch ESPN Plus or listen to KSUB for SU Athletics all season long. And I do a little uh, content contributor work over at 750 The Game in Portland. So... Um, it's not that hard to find me, I don't think, which is kind of the idea. You, you out here. You out here. <laughs> we uh, out all right, there. Spence. All right, Spencer. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Josh.